Hello and welcome to the Irish Football Fans in the Year Review. Uh, I'm joined again by Philip Flanagan from the Bottomless Pit of Football and we have James Crew from Pogue McGall joining us as a guest analyst for our review of Stephen Kenny's time in charge. Phil, uh, how are you? Good, Joe. Good. How are you keeping? Hi, James. Hi, Phil. Hi, Joe. Thanks for asking me on. No problem. When Mick McCarthy was appointed senior manager for of the Ireland national team for the second time in November 2018, Stephen Kenny was appointed manager of the under-21 side with the brief of qualifying the team for the UEFA Championships for the first time and a promise that he would take over from McCarthy following the Euro 2020 qualifying campaign. Now, due to the pandemic, McCarthy had to step aside before the campaign had been completed. That was way back in April. I think we all vaguely remember April actually happening. And Stephen Kenny was promoted to the senior team. He's been in charge for eight games now, but after four draws and four losses, including going out of the European Championships on penalties, the manager is still waiting for his first win. It's actually the worst start to a, an Irish managerial reign since Mick Megan threw three and lost five of his first eight games after being appointed as the first full-time manager of the national side in 1969. We're not going to focus on any one individual game as part of the review, but we're rather going to give our overall impression of Kenny's time in charge. Phil, if I could start with you, Kenny has brought in the 4-3-3 formation. Now, 4-4-2 has been the formation of choice for uh, managers of the national side pretty much forever, apart from some brief experiments with 3-5-2 under Mick McCarthy and his first time in charge. And Brian Kerr did give Damien Duff a bit of a free role in front of the midfield and behind the front two strikers. Under Kenny, the three players in midfield don't seem to have any connection with defence and they're not really linking up with the front three either. So we're losing out on both defence and attack. Do you think that we have the players to play 4-3-3? And if we don't, should he go back to 4-4-2 or should he try something else? I don't think we've the players to play three in the in the opposition half of the pitch. I think you can see what he's trying to do in our own half when we're in possession of the football, like we can actually see we're trying to play it out from the back reasonably successfully, bar when Duffy gets a bit panicked. But I think, as you said, once you get into midfield, it's really hard to see what the plan is to connect with the attack. He went with Ida in his first game against Bulgaria as a kind of a target man. And Ida ended up playing most of that game and was back to goal. And at the time we were thinking, well, if... McGoldrick comes in, he's a much more established forward in that sense and he'll be able to link up the play much better. But now with McGoldrick gone, you wonder, as you said, have we the players to play that game? I doubt it now and I think due to McGoldrick's retirement, we're going to have to have a rethink of how we set up because 4-3-3 hasn't really worked. We don't have the players, no, we don't. Ida hasn't kicked on like we thought he would with Norwich this season, Parrot. Hasn't really kicked on either. Granted, he got his loan move. And Connolly, I suppose, is probably doing the best out of all of them. But no, in our own half, I can see, you know, signs of 4-3-3 working. But then once we get to the halfway line, it's very hard to see how we're going to make it work. So I, I think a change is inevitable to a 4-5-1 even. Or a 4-4-2. James, if we look back at that first game against Bulgaria... 
and consider how his reign has gone since then. I thought that the team were trying, obviously, just more than just the formation was the change. You know, there was there seemed to be more passes, there seemed to be more accurate passes, and they were trying to create something. And it maybe I think people felt that giving Ida uh, his debut and playing Connolly up front with him, it just felt that there was still a bit of inexperience to decide, and it would improve. Now, obviously, it hasn't because we still haven't scored since. Shane Duffy's last-minute uh, equaliser. Um, it was a header from a corner, the most stereotypical Shane Duffy goal that Shane Duffy will ever score. Looking back at that first game, what do you think that Kenny was trying to implement, and did he succeed with any of that in the any of the games that followed? Well, I think if you take a step back and look at it, when Kenny came in, he's, he made no bones about saying he was going to change the way Ireland played. They were going to play football. They were going to play out from the back. And regardless of the results, the, the way he has his team play, trying to play is chalk and cheese to what we've seen probably going back to Mick McCarthy's first time in charge. The long ball under Trapattoni, for example, just got longer. Fans started to stay away from the qualifiers. Yes, we qualified for the Euros, we were the worst team in the tournament. The fans had a great time. This is a revolution, whether by accident or by design. And going by the FAI history, it's very much by accident. They didn't appoint Kenny to usher in a glorious new era for Irish football. But he's taken it on his shoulders to do just that. He wants to transform the way we play. He talks about playing the same way all the way up to the age groups. He talks about an identity. He talks about changing the description of the Irish team as the British style, which is makes our skin bristle, or should do. So he's got us passing out from the back. Has it worked? It's taking time. And is the honeymoon over? Perhaps it is. But Irish fans and Irish pundits tend to speak in generalities and say this is the same old brutal Ireland team. It absolutely isn't. It might be a different kind of brutal in some ways, but this isn't the same team playing the same football that we saw under O'Neill, under Trapattoni, under Staunton, even under Brian Kerr. He's trying to get them to play. And the statistics back it up. We are outpassing other teams. We have more possession than other teams. We can't score, which is a massive, massive problem. But he's, he said he would use the Nations League to blood players like Ida, like Connolly. Ida's a teenager. Try Parrot, still teenager. It's a lot of pressure to put on young players. But the other point is to talk about strikers is the strikers we have outside of those young players are not good enough. They are not working hard enough at club level to make the difference. If I was an Irish striker outside of the squad, I'd be working my ass off to get into it. And if I was an Irish striker getting called up, I'd be embarrassed about what's been said about me. And I would take it upon myself to work, to be a better player, to help this team score. That's my view of it. It's a revolution and revolutions take time. I think that might be part of the problem. Revolutions do take time. We've had eight games so far, and a club side would play eight games in a month, maybe in in six weeks. 
but it's taken five months for us to reach those eight games and we're not going to be playing again until March when we play three games against Serbia, Luxembourg and uh, Qatar who've been added to our qualifying group just so they can get some uh, international experience. Like you said there that Kenny is trying to remove this identity as as a British uh, style team but with the vast majority of our players playing in British football, mostly in the Premier League or the Championship, you know, is that something that he can do with the limited amount of time he has with the players in the build-up to an international fixture? Well, those players playing in the Premier League are playing at a high level. They know how to pass the ball to another player wearing the same shirt. But when they put it on a green shirt prior to Kenny, it seemed like all they could do was thump a ball long. It's a results-based game. He's not getting the results at the end of the last round. I feared they might pull the plug on him. Are the players good enough to play this style? I would have been fearful of someone like Shane Duffy, who's like a no-nonsense centre-half trying to play it out from the back. I remember in the very first game, his very first touch was one of the worst touches I'd ever seen. He must have knocked it about 10 yards in front of him and immediately gave away a free. And I thought Duffy was going to be uh, someone who would be a liability in that team. And to his credit, he got better. Now, he's he's lacking form at the moment, and there are other reasons for that. Um... Every other national team picks players on form apart from the Irish team. We pick players who have done a job in the past. So if we were to go like every other team, Duffy wouldn't be in the team. Darren Randolph wouldn't be in the team. Shane Long wouldn't be in the squad. But because we have a small pool to pick from, we have to keep going back to these players. So a lot of teams are playing this way. We we can't do what we always did, which was set up to not lose. We won't qualify. We won't win games by setting up to not lose, which is setting up solid back forward, thumping the ball long to a target man and invariably knocking it over the end line, which is what we've been doing for about 10 years. So this is the way to win matches. But if he doesn't start getting results very quickly, they will pull the plug and replace him. That's the nature of football. He'll know that too. Yeah, three things that are inevitable in life, death taxes and football managers getting the sack. Like you mentioned Darren Randolph there, and I would agree that he is probably only getting picked uh, because of his historical performances for Ireland. Uh, He's not playing for West Ham. We're still waiting to see his first Premier League appearance of the season in December. But recently, Cuevin Kelleher has made his league and European debut for Liverpool. So there's a Good chance that he could be the uh, Ireland number one come March. Mark Travers, while still not getting picked for Bournemouth, is uh, a regular in in their squad. So I think, again, similar to how Klopp is treating Kelleher as one for the future, they could be waiting to see if they get promoted again to the Premier League next season. But in either case, Randolph's position is, is under threat. Do you think that he'll pick... Uh, either Keller or Travers ahead of him in March? Well, <laughs> kind of contradicted myself in one way. A, a goalkeeper is one where you do need experience. And Randolph hasn't done too much wrong, although he had some suspect passing during the Nations League, which cost us a game in one of them. But I'd, I'll put it to yourself and Phil. Would you rather have 
a substitute goalkeeper at West Ham or a substitute goalkeeper at the Premier League champions who are playing Champions League as your number one? Like this, these are the questions every other country picks on form because of our small pool of players. We're inevitably going to pick players who are not getting into the team. I'd ask yourself and Phil, substitute at the champions versus substitute West Ham. Who do you go with? Well, I think that Kelleher's performances for Liverpool have shown what he can do as a first-choice goalkeeper. Uh, now, with Alisson back and available for Klopp, I don't think he's going to get too many minutes between now and March. But we hadn't seen enough of him to know what he could do before that. He's been selected for every squad so far, and there was no one campaigning for him to get his, his shot ahead of Randolph. But having seen what he is capable of in the last couple of games, I think he should see minutes in March. It might not be against Serbia. It'll probably be against either Luxembourg or Qatar. But Randolph is getting older as well. And eventually he is going to get injured or suspended or he might just retire. And if and when that happens, if Keller has zero international experience, We'll have to blame the manager for that. You know, he has, he will have opportunities uh, very, very soon to give him his senior international debut and for him to get international minutes. Phil, what do you think? I wouldn't be surprised to see him in from the the next game in March, simply because he looks like the better keeper at the moment. And um, the thing about his performances at Liverpool is they were spectacular without actually being unspectacular. Everything he did, he made look pedestrian. He seems to be quite cool and level-headed. Like He made a few brilliant saves, but he came for a lot of balls. He's not shy of coming out of his box. He's not shy coming for a cross. He'll punch, he'll flick. It's totally different to kind of what Randolph is or what we think of Randolph. Randolph is a stopper. He stays mainly on his line. And he, as James pointed out, isn't great with his feet. But just going back to James's point on picking players on reputation, let's not forget the very first game Stephen Kenny managed was the Bulgaria game, which he dropped Coleman for. And he played Doherty because everyone was saying, we have to play Doherty. We have to play him. Coleman's not playing well. So he made the ballsy decision to do that. Will he make the ballsy decision to play Kelleher? Like, I don't think there's a downside to it. I think... Going back to the point about, you know, playing our best players or playing on reputation, we seem to also have this thing where we think, oh, you know, he doesn't have enough experience to play at international level. Like, you go back to the Wales game we played a few years ago. They played Ampadu. You know, Ampadu started against a centre midfield, absolutely bossed the midfield. His first game, he was only 17. They played Wilson against us. He wasn't playing for Liverpool at the time. Comes, scores a worldly free kick. Zero international experience, but thrown in and given a chance. And that's what young players now do now. It's not like 10 years ago or 20 years ago where you're scared of Roy Keane sitting at the other table. You're only a young fella and you don't want to be stepping on anyone's toes. Young players now are brash. They want the ball. They want to be involved. So I think they take their chance a lot better. And I think Kelleher is definitely going to be one of them. And as you said yourself, Joe, Randolph is going to be retiring soon. Like, surely to God, if he wants to keep his career going, it's a drop down to the championship. Like, when he made the move back to West Ham, we all said there's absolutely no way he's getting in the first team. Fabianski was player of the year and they re signed him. 
it was clearly as a number two. So he's got a decision to make. If he wants to keep the green shirt, he's going to have to move on. If he doesn't, well then, surely Kelleher deserves a go, in my opinion. I don't think anyone would, would disagree with you there either. And the way that Liverpool play, you know, they build from the back, it's possession pressing football. If that's what Stephen Kenny has in mind, you know, maybe he could look at, at starting at the very back. We've looked through the statistics for the, the games that Kenny has been in charge for so far. And Randolph is averaging a 75% accuracy with his passes. So three out of every four of his passes go to a, an Irish player, but one out of every four goes awry. If you look at the players who've had more than 500 minutes for the new manager, uh, his is the lowest by far. Everyone else has over 80% passing uh, accuracy. And it's actually Robbie Brady is the only other player with 75% of his passes going to a teammate, having played nearly 200 minutes less than Randolph uh, in the game so far. You mentioned Coleman there as well, and he's only been in two of the matchday squads so far for the new manager due to injuries. But he was first choice for... Everton, despite his age, despite having never worked with the, with Ancelotti before, and I don't think anyone expects him to be a substitute for the Toffees when he does return from injury. The last two managers uh, weren't able to successfully integrate Doherty and Coleman into the same team. And I don't know if Kenny is the man to do it either. It's a, an awful headache for him to have as well that two of our best players play in the same position. On the other hand, we only have one recognised uh, left fullback playing regularly at the moment. That's Ender Stevens with Sheffield United. And to be fair to Kenny, he did give Ryan Manning his debut. His club situation has changed. He's with Swansea now, but he hasn't established himself in the first team yet. Do you think that Stevens is going to continue as the starting left full? Or is there someone maybe like... Tyreek Wilson, who was the left full in the League of Ireland team of the year, going to emerge as a, a challenge to him in that position. I, I can't see Stevens losing this position, no. And as far as Doherty's concerned, it's amazing what a few months ago. Doherty isn't even getting in the, the match day squad for Spurs now. He's not in the match day squad tonight against Liverpool. Um, so if Coleman comes back in and goes straight back into the starting eleven with Everton, and gets a run of games and Doherty's not playing, well then the debate is, do you play your, your foreign players? So does Coleman go back in? Doherty has never really done it for us either. Like I know he was capped quite late and he wasn't really used a lot, but he hasn't really played that well. Maybe now that's just down to the whole team not playing well, but I think like Doherty's best performances for us was left centre half. Just going back to Stevens, I can't see anyone really coming in and, and threatening Stephen's starting position, it'd be great for Ryan Manning to to kick on at Swansea. Like he had a great season at QPR last year at left back when they pushed him back there. So that's what we need. We need strength and depth, especially in our back line, which is our probably our strongest attribute. You know, going through our back line. James, you know, if we look in defence, we have Duffy, Darty, Egan, Stevens, Coleman, Darroche is emerging as a Premier League talent this season. Kevin Long has proven to be an able backup. So I think in defence, 
were reasonably well stocked. And then looking in midfield, if you're playing three in midfield, you kind of need at least two recognised box-to-box players who can provide a link between defence and attack. And then one kind of recognised defensive midfield. Now, I think that Kenny had marked James McCarthy for that defensive midfield role. And as we said, due to issues outside of football, he hasn't been available, not just for Ireland, but also for Crystal Palace. And I uh, seem to be kind of back to the form that he was in before he got two serious injuries for Everton. Who do you expect to to line up in that midfield three for Kenny? And what do you think he's learned from the games from the players that he has played there? I think he, he talked up James McCarthy a lot before he even took charge. I think this is what he does, is he tries to build up players. And McCarthy seems to be one that he has a position in his mind for. McCarthy's Ireland career has been a little bit up and down. He's been brilliant on occasion. And other times he's not lived up to that hype. But he's not the only Irish central midfielder to do that. Jeff Hendrick has played a lot under Kenny so far. And with mixed results, like we talk about our lack of a goal scoring threat, but our midfield is having problems. Prior to Kenny, it was the fact that we bypassed midfield. We would thump it over their heads. Now our midfielders seem to be able to go horizontally or backwards, but are unable to pick out that killer pass. Robbie Brady is much kind of vaunted for his delivery. At times, Robbie Brady's delivery can be awful. Uh, It's not that dependable, but it does look like he's got kind of Brady, Hendrick, McCarthy in mind, maybe O'Dowda as well coming off the bench. The small hooped elephant in the room is uh, Jack Byrne. (laughs) Is Jack Byrne the new Wes Houlihan? It seems like people cry out for him to be the one to unlock a defence. And why is that? It's because he's a different type of player who looks to get on it and make an accurate pass forward. And and this is the problem we have. Even Daryl Horgan has looked impressive in, in the couple of games he's played where he wasn't named in the original squad. So it's it's about players who will implement this philosophy of, of picking out a forward pass. We're not a long ball team anymore. And many of the players who are in his squad now are the ones who came with Trapatoni and O'Neill and they have to adapt how they play. <laughs> if we're going to play true teams, we need to start picking out, we need to start picking playmakers who can pick a pass. We don't need Glenn Whelan anymore when we're supposed to be playing further up the pitch. That's an interesting point that, you know, he's trying to implement a system that all of the underage sides will play and the senior team. And, if you look at the players that he's given debuts to, that's Adamita, Jason Malumbi, Darrell Shea and Jason Knight, he had all of them at under-21 level. So they had no experience of playing under Mick McCarthy, under Martin O'Neill or under Giovanni Trapattoni. I'd say out of those, uh, Malumbi and O'Shea have looked extremely promising. Malumbi was man in a match uh, on his debut and you know it seems to be made for international football, but just can't seem to get into that first team at Brighton for whatever reason. Potter just doesn't seem to like him playing in midfield. And I think he will look for 
either a loan move or a permanent move away from the Seagulls in the new year. From the midfielders that he has picked, the players that have seen the most minutes is Conor Horan, Jason Malumbi. And I was actually a little surprised that Horan has played as many minutes as he has because he hasn't impressed at all. And in that last game against Bulgaria, he just had one cross that went across the Bulgarian goal early in the first half and then just seemed to disappear for the rest of the game. I think he's in the squad because he is a threat from set pieces, but if Robbie Brady is also in the team, you kind of wonder, is he really needed? And was he only being picked because he was available? And as you say, it could be on reputation. Uh, he's a Premier League player with Aston Villa, but he's not a regular with the, the clarity either. I mean, I think it's going to be McCarthy, Hendrick and Malumbi as his first choice centre midfield trio with Hendrick and Malumbi providing that box-to-box option and McCarthy sitting deep as a designated defensive midfielder. Now, up front, the players that he's picked, you know, he started with Adam Ida uh, as the central striker in the first game against Bulgaria. And, you know, he is still a teenager. He was playing against two experienced centre-halves and he was bullied out of it a little bit. Now, Ida has incredible potential. He scored a hat-trick on his second second senior appearance for Norwich. He's found football hard to come by at club level this season while Norwich uh, tried to get promoted back to the Premier League. The first big blow that Kenny had as a manager was David McGoldrick's retirement before the game against England in November. He can play that central role really well. It's where he plays for Sheffield United. And, you know, he works really hard for the team to bring in the two players that are playing either side of him. So, Phil, do you think that Ida is going to continue in that central role? And who do you see playing beside him? Judging by the way the season's going now, the answer would be no. Um, And you'd have to imagine that, that Connolly would maybe take his place along with someone else. Um, maybe a slight change of formation, and the thing is, like, we're seriously lacking up front. Everyone knows that, but it, who we play up front dictates who we play in the middle. And I think we've such a lack of creativity in the middle that that really affects whoever plays up front. I really don't think it matters at this stage. If we were to line out tomorrow, you'd probably put Connolly up there. When you look at our midfield, just to go back, you were discussing Horan, like, they offer nothing. Horan offers nothing. I often see Jeff Hendrick get absolutely berated, and, like, rightfully so a lot of the time, because he's solidly giving the ball away or he's jogging back or whatever. But the, the difference between Hendrick and Horan is Hendrick is always involved. Hendrick is always trying to do something. I'd rather Hendrick give the ball away 20 times in a row, making a forward pass or trying a little flick then Horahan getting the ball, looking left and just laying it off three yards and like literally walking away and turning his back, thinking that's my job done. And that's why we've all got such Jack Byrne envy because nothing goes on in the middle. And I think we can't be relying on McCarthy either. So really who he plays in the middle should dictate to who he lines up up front, you know, be it a 4-5-1 or a 4-3-3. Like Ida's not getting the game time. You can't really play him. 
because he, he doesn't seem like he's a natural goal scorer. We're struggling for goals. Connolly, while not scoring a lot of goals and maybe only coming off the bench, we've seen in his play, he's quite a clever player. He's able to get the ball up high up the pitch. He's able to lay it off. He's he's quite cute. He can win free kicks. And when you're struggling to score goals, that's the next best thing to help you bring the team up the pitch. So I think it would have to be Connolly. But then, as we said on the last podcast, three months is a very long time in football. We could be sitting here in March. Troy Parrott could have seven or eight goals for Millwall. And we could be saying, happy days. Let's go with Troy Parrott. Like, we just don't know until we get, you know, near the end of February. Because we just don't have any established strikers. Like, we have James Collins. And James, you mentioned earlier about players needing to try harder. Like, James Collins will go to League One and he'll score goals all day. He'll score goals in the Championship. But I just don't think he'll ever be able to bring it up to that level, no matter how much he tries. So, like, is there any point to playing him? Not really. So you have to try and go with one of the younger players and hope they kick on. When Kenny took over the under-21s, it was like, oh, my God, look at all these young players. We've got Parrott, we've got Ida, we've got Connolly. You know, we thought by now we'd have one really good established forward. And we don't, just through injuries, through managerial changes, just through players' careers not taken off. So, you know, we'll just see what, what happens in March and what kind of situation we're in. But that forward situation, it should dictate how our midfield lines out. Because if we're still in the same situation where we don't have anyone scoring goals, then I don't think we can really keep with the 4-3-3 as rigorously as he has. I think he'll have to change it up. I'm not saying go long ball. I'm saying just change it up slightly. Put an extra body in the midfield so we can get up the pitch a bit more. So, yeah. I, I agree with Phil, but I think we're so desperate for a goal scorer that we want Parrott or Ida or Conley to be the finished article, which is really unfair on them because they're so young. But you have Obafemi as well. Like, it's, if you think about other countries where there is a path for succession for the manager is often through the under-21s. We could have a situation where Kenny was doing really well with the under-21s and he's got a team with Kelleher, Conley, Parrott, Ida, Obafemi, all in his squad regularly, replacing the likes of McLean, Shane Long. And that would be a natural progression for any team. The problem is we're desperate for results now and we're heaping pressure on these players. I think we also need to take a step back and look at the circumstances that Kenny had to endure. The playoff, they were brilliant in the playoff. It was a breath of fresh air, outplaying a team away from home, no long ball heartbreak of penalties and then a couple of days later having to turn around for Nations League that they probably didn't want to play. We've had a lot of triple headers, big games, three games within a week. The squad was decimated by COVID. The video incident with England. I could talk about a roller coaster for Kenny, but I think you do have to step back and look at that. We can't look at uh, the campaign without considering that. One little thing that struck me and Phil was talking about having to play players when they're young. Um, like we did it before with Robbie Keane and, and Damien Duff. And obviously they're much uh, higher talents than some of the guys we've got. But Kenny said he would use the Nations League to flood these players like Ida. A little anecdote from me watching from London was watching the England game on ITV. 
And at half time, Ian Wright picked out a little couple of little snippets of Ida. And he was saying Ida made some lovely layoffs, but never followed into the box. He didn't anticipate that a ball might come in for him, which did. And Ian Wright was politely trying to say, even at 18 years old, a player should know how to play like that. They should know you lay it off and you make the run. And that's something that struck with me is like, we're asking a lot of these players, we're asking them to grow up very quickly. But I think as Phil said earlier, we need to give them minutes, which Kenny has done. We have to replace the Shane Longs and the McLeans. We have to replace Sean Maguire because he hasn't done it. We literally have to replace McGoldrick, who's a huge loss. Whether we even take another step back and start calling up some League of Ireland players who maybe are showing a bit of form. This is where we're at now. We we are desperate for a goal scorer and we're desperate for someone to emerge between now and spring who's, who's had a bit of form. Yeah, so just to go on that, James, like we are desperate, but it's up to Kenny to come up with a plan B and try and develop that from midfield. So if he if we if he can see now, he's probably thinking, geez, maybe none of these young lads are gonna get a run and maybe it is too much for them. You know, it's on him then to try and shake up that midfield that's been so, so plain. So like that's and obviously you have to take everything into context. Obviously, and I wouldn't like if it was me, I just write the whole thing off. I'd write all eight games off. I just say, look, that's a great experiment. We have a rough idea of what we're going to do. Now let's start. And yeah. we're starting to march. But the problem is, especially with the Irish football fans, is the idea of growing your veg is great. But at the end of the day, you just want to go and get a bag of chips. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, that's what's going to happen. We're like, <laughs> oh, Jesus, we've planted the spuds. And isn't it great? And off, oh, where are the spuds? Oh, yeah. we'll just get chips. And it's going to happen. If he doesn't pick up results soon, it'll happen. We'll just break... We'll cave and we'll say get rid of them. Even though we know it's wrong, we just Irish fans just don't have the patience. Like you look at Germany yeah. years ago. Germany absolutely just ripped up everything all the way down to under fifteens. They brought in a model, they changed the whole thing. They won they won a World Cup through it. Obviously we're not gonna do that, but but what they did worked and they persevered and they lost games. England did the same all the way through under sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. They've had the patience, they had the structure. Will we have the patience? I don't know. It's hard to know. That's the million dollar question, Phil, because yeah. now is the time. To- we have to now, do yeah, something Now is different. the time to, to grit the teeth and just yeah. and get through it. But yeah, because this is we're talking about the 2022 World Cup. It'll be 20 years since Ireland was in a World Cup. That's an indictment of football in this country. It's an indictment of not being able to produce players and an indictment of the association not putting in any pathways and relying on British clubs to produce our players. That's where we're at. So I said it's a revolution and it's not by design. It's by accident. But this is we have to try something different. We definitely need a plan B as well, because by the last games of Kenny's opening games, it wasn't working. It was we were passing diagonally, passing backwards. I think John Giles said we were going nowhere you were almost asking him to lump it in long once or twice. And Mick McCarthy on commentary would put a hole in your head saying we only score from crosses. But we do sometimes score from crosses. So a little bit of changing it up. And it also feels like the goals thing has become 
psychological now. I think it was uh, was it night or someone had a someone had a like guilt edge chance in front of goal. They were put in front and they blazed it wide. And to me, it was a sign that it's becoming a chain around the necks at this stage. It, we, it feels like if we get one, we'll score a load, but it's taken a long time. And when you're not scoring, you're not winning, no matter what kind of ball we're playing. Yeah, and when you think that you know, Conor Horan had that great shot, a great chance inside the six-yard area and somehow managed not to score, it kind of feels like we're fated not to get a goal. And... I said it at the time that the longer this goes on, the longer it's going to go on. And, you know, we're currently on the longest scoreless streak in Irish international football history. I don't know if we're going to score against Serbia. We sco- we did score twice the last time we played there. But if we don't score against Luxembourg, then I think it's, it's time to start making some tough decisions um, because... That will indicate a, a massive, a bigger problem, I think, than just not being able to score. I mean, in the eight games so far, uh, I've looked at the the stats that are available, and um, the only one I wasn't able to get accurate stats for was the the England game. But in in the other games, in the in the competitive games, we had twenty shots on target from the seven games. That's less than three a game. And for me, the standout stat of Kenny's reign so far was that against Bulgaria at home, we had zero shots on target, which for a team that needed a goal of any description just to to lift the support and to get that monkey off our back is astonishing to me. That's an effect of the pressure, though, as James said. It's a culmination of, of all of those games coming into the last game and just not being able to do it. Stage fright, nearly. Um, well, I also have to remember what went before, Joe. Like, it, I know we're looking at the Kenny era, but Mick McCarthy would have you think we were playing against, we were playing like Brazil in his commentary. He, he, he was all, it was almost embarrassing when he said we scored a goal from a cross against Gibraltar. Like, big whoop, Mick. Like, we, what did we score? Five goals under McCarthy? Four or seven goals, maybe, and four of them came against Georgia and Gibraltar. Um, you go back to the five-one defeat at Denmark. I was added. Maybe you guys were added. The playoff yeah, defeat. Yeah. Terrible game. Uh, embarrassment. But uh, we we went behind trying to get ahead. If you know what I mean. M- M- O'Neill was pushing forward when maybe he should have been a bit more conservative. I dare anyone to go back and watch the nil-nil in Denmark as a game of football, where we were a disgrace we would get the ball and kick it 60 yards for 90 minutes to avoid defeat. The, that game was more shameful than the 5-1 defeat. We have to remember where we came from. We weren't playing amazing football before Kenny got here. Mick McCarthy didn't qualify us for a playoff. He inherited a playoff, and we got into the playoffs because Martin O'Neill finished bottom of the group in the Nations League, but because of some kind of UEFA mumbo jumbo, we stayed in the uh, in the in the group. We stayed at that tier, and we got into a playoff because I think Switzerland reached the semi-finals. Mick McCarthy didn't get us to a, a playoff. Mick McCarthy failed. Uh, Kenny na- lost a playoff on penalties. 
and he's trying to implement a new style. I think you, you, you have to think about what went before as well. But what I would say is, what if fans were in the stadiums for all those games? What kind of reaction would the Irish fans have? Would we be booing at the end? Would we be asking them to lump it long? And would Kenny still be there? I think the Bulgaria game might have broken the fans. Uh, I've been at games where the team has been booed off. The one that I always remember is Steve Staunton's last game in charge uh, against Cyprus. When Cyprus went 1-0 up, Crow Park seemed to empty. And Steve Finn equalised with, I think, my, what, like one of the last kicks of the whole game. And it was probably the least celebrated goal ever because there was a second of cheers and applause. And then everyone collectively realised that this doesn't mean anything. That's so what? You were celebrating a goal against Cyprus to draw a game and the team was, was booed off because of it. Jeez, we'd celebrate it now. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't know if the team is lucky that there aren't players in the stadium or unlucky. I mean, they're lucky because they don't have to face the fans at, at the end of another draw, at the end of another loss. And they're unlucky because who's to say the fans wouldn't make a difference, you know? Under Martin O'Neill, we seemed to keep going until the, the very end. And we did score late goals in a lot of games under Martin O'Neill and under, you know, Mick McCarthy got a, a late draw against Switzerland uh, when McGoldrick scored his only international goal. And, you know, if that game was 10 minutes longer, we possibly could have won it, but matches ended 90 minutes. The football I- fans aren't known for patience. And I think knowing what Stephen Kenny is trying to do might buy him some time. But after eight games, we're seeing slow changes, slight changes. But without goals and without wins, he's going to find it very, very hard to keep the fans on his side. I mean, I'm fully convinced that the honeymoon period that he had and that extra base of grace period that he might have gotten as someone who's come from the League of Ireland and knows how the game is played here and knows players in the League of Ireland that might have been ignored under previous managers that's all gone now I'm not saying he has three games in March to keep his job but he does have three games to get the fans on his side he'll know that Joe. he knows that Joe if they can't score against Luxembourg the game is up but those players can't score against Luxembourg. They need to look at themselves. I think when, you're, when we're at this stage now where it's become a psychological thing, you asked at the very top of the program about if we, whether the players are good enough. This is where a good player knows they need to take that extra little bit of time to make sure the shot is on target instead of rushing it. And this is this what will tell us if we have a bunch of very average players or someone who raises their hand and shows I'm a quality player, I'll take that extra touch and make sure I put it in the net. It is watching a it's hard watching on Sky Sports when you've got a British commentator and he's saying this is two bad teams here, talking about Ireland and whoever. Like that's hard to watch. But again, looking from the outside. We're a bad team. We're an average team at the minute. Can't score goals. Um, he Kenny knows it's a results business. It looks like he's safe. He, he is safe. He's going to start the World Cup qualifiers. 
this is where he has to earn his corn. He almost got us into the playoff. It hasn't been good since. It's been nice enough to watch in terms of possession. Now this is it. This is the World Cup qualifiers where it's much harder to qualify from Europe. And we won't draw our way to the World Cup. We have to try and win matches. And the only way we're going to win matches is by putting it in the back of the net. We need to get kind of realistic as well. Like, Firstly, what I'd say is we're not conditioned for international football as fans. You have 30,000 in the Aviva. The majority of them sport an English team. Because if not, there'd be 30,000 at all the games in the League of Ireland at the weekend. And watching Liverpool or Manchester United on a Sunday and they go out and they get beat, well, then you're like, oh, need a result now next week. You expect it. You expect the performance. And it's a lot different with international football. So we need to, fans need to remember that. Like, managers doesn't have that much time. He's not with the players. It's very, very different. And the other thing I'd say is that, you know, we need to get realistic about where we are as a team. You said it there, James, we're a bad team. Most Irish fans will complain about the team, but they won't say we're a bad team. We are a bad team. We're the third best team in the group we've just been drawn in. Realistically, we should be finishing third in that group. And third in that group, a good third, beating the two teams below us, should be seen as some sort of moderate success for Kenny if we have played a reasonably good style of football. But if we finish third and we play a reasonably good style of football, he'll still probably be there'll still probably be cause for his head. And and that's one of the problems. Like we couldn't qualify for the Euros twenty four teams. I think it's thirteen that go to the World Cup from Europe. We're not we're not gonna qualify for the the World Cup. We're not really like. You know, would you back it with your own money? Probably not. So we need to have that outlook going into the next qualifying campaign. And actually, like, measure our goals differently. So how many players has he brought through? Is Knight starting? Is Malumbi starting? Has Ida got a few goals? Do they look good up front? Is O'Shea now a starter? Kelleher, all these things. Are we are we scoring more goals against the lesser teams? Are we creating more chances against the bigger teams? Are we getting dominated as much? These are the metrics we need to be measuring, not the results. The results against the smaller teams, fine. And Joe, you said it, yeah. If we don't go out and score a goal against Luxembourg, you know, there's something seriously wrong. We probably will. And those are the metrics we need to be looking at. Not if we finish first or second. Second is a, is a bonus for us. Maybe an achievable bonus, but not one we should be just going, yeah, we're going to get that. And if we don't, Kenny, good luck. So we need to kind of take a step back. And that's my view anyway, if that's where we are. And that's what will keep Kenny in the job longer. Looking I, at it that way, coming at it from that way. I totally agree. We are the most fickle of football fans. And oh, yeah. it's Irish fans. To, we, we also have to acknowledge that it's fragmented. There's a lot of goodwill for Stephen Kenny. There's an element of... People have written him off from day one because he came from the League of Ireland. That absolutely exists. And then there is another element of the support who just look at the results and say, well, we didn't score. The team is bad. It's a very fragmented support base. And he has a job to do to bring that together as well. Looking at the group and going on what you said there, Phil, if we finish third, like we should be looking at third as the absolute minimum and finish third beat Luxembourg and beat Azerbaijan home and away, that'll be 12 points. Nobody is, is doubting that Portugal are going to run away with it. 
they are going to top the group. I'd say they're probably going to get 20 points. They could possibly even go for uh, 100% record and qualify with 24 points. So I think what could define our, whether it's a success or failure is the two games against Serbia. And that's the first game. Is away to Serbia in March. And the return game isn't until September. Those two games could determine whether or not we view the campaign as a success or a failure. And yeah, realistically, we're probably not going to qualify for the World Cup. Uh, playoff is probably the best we can hope for. And we don't have a great record in playoffs. You know, we've only ever successfully gotten through three of them out of whatever number it is. That that game against Serbia at home is the game in that group. Something we haven't done in a long time is beat that team above us at home. We've really struggled. And on a lot of occasions, we just we just haven't got that win. Like, you know, a draw away to Serbia is a great result. But really, you know, if you beat Serbia, if, looking at this group now, if we were to say if we bet Serbia at home, we would probably have a decent chance of getting that playoff. But we have failed to do that a lot over the last few years to beat those teams, go back to Scotland, go back to Wales, um, even Austria. So that's the big focus. That fine margins in the group. I say, we, you know, third is good for us. But if we can beat Serbia, then the playoff it could be there. By the time the Serbia game at home comes around in September, we'd have played... Serbia away, Luxembourg at home, Portugal away, Azerbaijan at home, and then that's three days before we face Serbia at home. So we'll have have, have four games played, two against the Minos, so we should have six points there. I don't think we're going to get anything against Portugal. So say we get a draw against Serbia, so if we repeat the last time we played Serbia in a qualifier away from home in the opening of a group. And we have seven points going into that home game against Serbia, which we think could decide who finishes second in the group. What other players do you think should be given a chance against Luxembourg and against Azerbaijan so they have a level of international experience before going up against Serbia? Like Kenny's introduced Ida Malumbi, O'Shea, Knight, uh, Manning, so far, do we think that anyone else from the from his under-21 side is going to be given a chance? Or do you think that someone completely unexpected could be promoted from League of Ireland or, you know, maybe even further afield? It has to go on form, Joe. We'd ne- but as we said at the top of the programme, we, we don't tend to pick on form. We kind of... We picked the Shane Longs, hoping he'll do a Germany again. Although Shane Long is a good player to have on the bench because he can win a header for a small man. But we we, we stick with guys like McLean. But Obafemi was an omission at the start of Kenny's reign. He kind of he told him to stay with the under-21s, but he's not getting in his club team. So we have to see what happens between now and the spring. If a player is showing a run of form, we have to go with them. Uh, which we have traditionally not done, really. We've stuck with what we thought was tried and trusted. So we have to see what happens. I think, as Phil said in, in the last podcast, a lot can happen between now and spring, and we need these players to uh, 
buck up their ideas. As I said at the start, if you're an Irish striker, you want to be working your socks off because the whole world, and more importantly, the Irish football world, is telling you you're not a very good player. Prove us wrong. Uh, one of the criticisms that I'm kind of hearing is that we don't have a plan B. That And like it's something that I've noticed a little bit with, with Barcelona, with Manchester City as well, that you know they have a plan A and it's a really, really good plan A. But when it doesn't work, and occasionally it doesn't, they don't have a plan B. Like, should Kenny be looking at a plan B right now as well? Like, the passing game looks good. And I think that definitely for the first three or four games, the fans were saying, okay, he's trying something. It's not quite working, but he's, de- he's trying something. And when it just kept not working, that's when things started to turn against him. You know, should he be looking at, as you say, look, just kicking the ball long for the last couple of minutes and are putting an extra man in midfield or putting, pushing someone up front. I can't sit through another goalless Ireland game. I can't sit through another game like that Bulgaria game. At the, at the end of it, it finished in a little, um, and I, I just didn't care. I was just going, but, yeah. but Joe, But Joe, we're so browbeaten now because listen to our conversations it's like do we need a plan b from passing the ball keeping possession having more possession than the opposition that's what football is that's what you're supposed to do this is how you play we need it we do need a plan b in the fact that if the trying to play through the middle is not working do we have a target man do we switch the formation late in the game at the end of the bulgaria game we finished with Jack Byrne on the pitch, Troy Parrott, and we were pushing for a goal. For He made the changes too late, arguably. But, like, is this what we're reduced to? Is this what we're saying, let's scrap passing to each other and keeping possession, and let's go back to what qualified us, which was freak results playing long ball, a knockdown like Shane Long's goal in a game we never should have won. Hoping for freak results elsewhere in the group that somehow pushes us into a playoff. I think, as I said at the start, it's it's philosophical. It's a revolution. Do we have patience? Football fans never have patience. And Irish fans are amongst the worst in that respect. I, I do think, though, that while the circumstances of how he's taken over and due to the global pandemic and all that, he does deserve a fair bit of lenient. Uh, we'll excuse a lot of it. I think one of the one of the worrying things is is his kind of lack of reaction, in-game reaction. He doesn't seem to be very reactive. We saw it in the Slovakia game. That game was crying out for Jack Byrne or a player like Jack Byrne. We were, like Slovakia, we were pushing them back, pushing them back, pushing them back. We had them pinned for about 20 minutes. And we didn't have anyone on the pitch to play that key pass. And we had players on the bench. Now, it was the second game. You give them a bit of leniency. But it has been um, it has been something that we've seen in a few games where he hasn't really he hasn't really seen the changes that everyone else kind of sees. Not to say we're all football managers, but like kind of the obvious things that Jesus, if we brought him on here now, even like say, like for the last ten minutes. Bring, you know, James Collins on or whatever. And, you know, 
if you if a team is being pinned back, then you just keep pinning them back and you, you try and get at them the best way you can. So I think with his substitutions, I think I will say that he hasn't been good enough with his substitutions. He hasn't been quick enough. Like he brought on Burnham Parrot, but as you said, he didn't bring them on quick enough. But he needs to that has to be an improvement. Not necessarily a plan B, but there's more ways to skin a cat. And with twenty minutes to go, if there's an opening there or an option that that should be taken. He needs to take it a bit quicker, I think. And I think that's definitely something he will have to improve on in the future. I'd go along with that as well, Phil. I think he's, he's, he has, so far, he has seemed slow to make changes, like maybe double substitutions within the last 10 minutes to go. I think that's something we could watch for. Managers, sorry, James, managers who get hung up on their philosophy, it tends to end in tears because they see that if they change or deviate from that philosophy it's an admission of defeat and Benitez was one of those at Liverpool you know he did not change to the last there's plenty of them out there and I and I really hope Kenny isn't one of them that he knows that if it's 40 minutes gone if we get to half time against Luxembourg and it's not working he just goes right we need a goal okay I'm gonna play two up top it's a sign that he's flexible and that he can adapt to a situation when he needs to. It'll prolong his career longer, you know, it'll, his time in the job longer. I hope he's like that. Uh, judging by the way he hasn't changed an awful lot in-game, I'd say he isn't, and that could be a worry down the line. That's a genuine, genuinely valid criticism of him so far, I think. Like, there's not a lot you can criticise him about so far, but that is one of the things, because regardless of who he has on the pitch or who he has to pick from. It's up to him as manager to see the different situations change and to adapt to them. So Do I just think, hope he's not that type of manager. Like Byrne has only played 20 minutes for Ireland under Kenny. Yeah. He played the last 12 minutes of the Bulgaria game when we needed a goal. And he, but he only played eight minutes against Wales when we were 1-0 down. I don't know if Jack Byrne is the kind of player that you can bring on for eight, nine, ten minutes and hope he'll change the game. I think he's the kind of player who needs to start to influence the game the whole way through for 90 minutes. You're talking about philosophy there, and like he seems to be welded to this 4-3-3 formation. Do you think that he sees the team kind of similar to the way Trapattoni did in that he's picking players to pick the system rather than finding a system for the players that he has. I think that's a little bit of wait and see because there could also be an argument he's been too quick to uh, do away with some of the experience heads. So like when we've had McLean in the team, McLean is again is a bit hit and miss, but maybe he's making drastic changes. But as he said, as a, and I'm repeating myself, he said he would use the Nations League to do this. Um, we have to acknowledge a ma- what a massive step up it is for Jack Byrne and to put a lot of pressure to make him the new Wes Hulahan. Like, the League of Ireland season is is ended now until, what, what is it, February? So he's not going to have much game time if he stays in Ireland between now and when the, the matches come round. Could Jack Byrne score, uh, start against Luxembourg? Yes, he could. Could he start against Portugal away? That's a tall ask when... No disrespect to Sligo. He played Sligo the previous Saturday. Do you think that Jack Byrne, uh, don't get me wrong, he's a really good player and I've been following his career since he went over to Man City when he was 16. And comparing him to Wes Hoolan 
in that he's the the cure-all that if he got more game time we'd win more games we'd score more goals he is a good player and I do like watching him play I think the problem with playing him international football is that he's the kind of player that you need to build a team around and right now it looks like Kenny isn't doing that we are in danger of making him the new Wes Hoolan because again we're desperate and we're asking him to be sprung from the bench because what we're watching is not doing it. The players in there are not performing. So we're waiting for the 60th minute to come round and say, now's time to get someone in there, anyone in there to do something different. So it's too much pressure on a League of Ireland player. It's too much pressure on any player to ask him to come in and change it all. We need players to step up. He needs a plan B. He's also finding his feet in senior international football. He's okay. He's had eight games, but we're we're, we're looking for um, something that's maybe not there, Joe. So, like Jack Byrne is is the effect, and our, our midfield being plain as day is is the cause. And maybe Jack Byrne isn't good enough. Maybe he isn't the answer, but. He's highlighting the problem that we have. So if he's not the answer, it's up to Kenny to pick a team or find a player who is the answer. So is that someone like Josh Cullen, maybe? Or is that someone like Malumbi? So if Jack Byrne is doing anything, he's shown up the problems that we have in midfield. We need a player like him. Maybe he's not the, the player we need, but we need someone like him. So it's up to Kenny to fill that void, be it Jack Byrne or someone else. And... It, that's always been the way. That was the way with Wes Hoolan. We had Glenn Whelan. We had James McCarthy. We didn't have Wes Hoolan because we were lumping the ball long. So we wanted Glenn, or we wanted Wes Hoolan. It was the same with Andy Reid for a while as well. It's up to Kenny to solve this problem and not make Jack Byrne the issue. You know, because fans are calling for Jack Byrne, Jack Byrne, Jack Byrne, rightly or wrongly. But the reason is, is because we're so devoid in the middle. So Kenny needs to solve that, however, which way he can. Yeah, and like, it could be Jack Byrne. Like if Jack Byrne gets sorry, if Jack Byrne gets a move, it could be Jack Byrne. He could step up. Absolutely, I don't see, I don't see any reason he couldn't. But if it's not, it has to be someone else. Looking at the way the under twenty one team plays under Kenny, a couple of times it was Troy Paris. I mean, against uh, away against Sweden, he was sprung from the bench with I think about twenty minutes to go and scored twice. Now, it's a step up from under-21 football to senior international football, and Pirate is finding it tough out on loan at Millwall at the moment, but it could be that Pirate is the answer to that question, that creative midfield spark that we're missing. The midfield three that we're playing at the moment don't seem to have a link between themselves and whoever's up front. Don't have someone playing in that kind of number 10 role, and Maybe Byrne is the the answer. And, you know, just looking at players that were on the bench against Wales and against Bulgaria in in the last game, there's nobody really jumping out to say that that they could do that. Now, I know there was uh, a lot of players were unavailable to the manager for those two games due to injuries, due to COVID. Phil, you, you are making a good point that Jack Byrne is just the current solution, but Kenny might be better spending time on the problem, putting in a situation where we're not calling for a creative midfielder to be sprung from the bench in the last 10 minutes of the game to get an equaliser or to get a winning goal. 
or to create something. And Kenny isn't the first manager that has had to face that problem for Ireland. I mean, the last player that you think that could play that role effectively was Damien Duff. Now, Duff is a, a once-in-a-generation a talent and, you know, one of the best, not just one of the best midfielders for Ireland, but one of the best midfielders in Europe when he was in his prime. And I don't know if we're ever going to produce a talent like that again. Duff um, is on the sideline, Joe. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, a pair of boots. yeah no, but it's actually a serious point, though. Like, the coaching team of Duff and Andrews is actually well thought of in the game. Uh, apparently, Duff was uh, doing great things at Celtic. So, we are looking for them. Someone like Duff imparting that wisdom on someone like uh, Aaron Connolly, who who's a little, plays a little bit like him. Or Daryl Horgan, who looks a lot like him. So we are harking back. We need someone of that ilk, those kind of players. Eventually, Kenny will fall on the sword of sticking to the philosophy if it doesn't work. Or as Phil said, he'll have to change his philosophy to suit what we do have. We're already seeing when James McCarthy is not there, it isn't quite working what he wants to do. And... The link-up play with the forwards has collapsed without McGoldrick. We need to replace McGoldrick. Unfortunately, we don't, re- at the moment, have somebody who can play that target man role. We don't have someone with that kind of physicality. We don't have someone with that height. We don't have someone with that intelligence. Now, Ida possibly could be eventually, but right now he isn't. And yeah, that goes back to what I was saying. Do we pick players to pick a system or does the manager develop a system to suit the players? It's it's international yeah. football. Yeah, sorry, inter- sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, you're right. It is international. It's the de- one of the bigger downsides of management in international football that when something goes wrong, you have a month before you work with the players again and you'll have four or five days to put it right. And then you might have two games to see if the, what you've worked on has fixed the problem. And if it doesn't, you have to wait another month, at least, to try and fix it again. And now Kenny has to wait from November to March to fix the issues that have been there since since August. It would have to be a happy medium, I'd say. Do you pick the players or do you pick the system? It has to be a bit of both. Like, you could look at a lot of international teams that we've played over the years who would have, like, one great player. Like, you think back, is it Alaba, who used to start centre midfield for Austria? You know, this kind of thing. You try and make the best of what you have. You don't necessarily have to stick to either. And that's not something we've really done over the last few years, bar Martin O'Neill starting a certain right-back in midfield for some reason. But, like, we need to try and do that ourselves. So that is maybe trying to get Doherty into the team with Coleman. That is maybe trying to get Jack Byrne in by maybe playing an extra man in the midfield. They're the big choices that he's going to have to make. And I think a happy medium is the answer one way or the other. I just don't think it will cut it. Again, it goes back to how strongly he feels about his system, his philosophy and all that. That will ultimately decide how the rest of his tenure goes. It's going to be an interesting 12 months for Irish football. We won't know until March what Stephen Kenny has learned. From the last six months, we don't know until then if he's been able to change anything that's gone wrong. I think barring an absolute collapse, 
he will still be Ireland manager when we do the end of year review in 12 months time and I think we will have gotten to a playoff I'd like to see proof that he can adapt to senior international football and that when things aren't going his way because things won't always go your way in football that he can react to them and that his his reactions are better than what they have been so far Phil uh, what do you want to see in the next 12 months so, like the main thing would be a continuation of bringing players into the squad and into the first team. Like we've seen the list of players that have played. We've seen Manning. We've seen Knight. We've seen Malumbi. We've seen O'Shea. We've seen Ida. We've seen all these lads. You go back to two years ago. When was the last time we had any kids playing? You know, really, we never had any kids playing. I used to say that Irish players used to just sprout up in England when they were twenty six and get into the first team, like. That's what usually happened. Oh, look, here's Jeff Henrik. He's 24. Where was he? You know, this kind of way. Like players, like what was the average age for players making their debuts under Trapattoni, under O'Neill? I'd say it was, you know, high enough up when you look at other teams around us then starting 17, 18, 19-year-olds. Now we're doing that. We're giving these guys a chance. And the main thing is to keep giving them a chance if they're playing club football. And and it, like a lot of this podcast it's not, we're discussing the issues and a lot of it's downbeat because we haven't been winning games and we haven't been scoring goals. But there's a lot of positives and the positives are we have young players with huge potential. And, you know, if half of them even came good, we would be in a good situation in a few years' time. So that's, it's one of the things Kenny said he was going to do and it's one of the things he's doing. He's blooding players, as James said. It gives us reason to look forward to the next campaign. The likes of Kelleher, the likes of Knight, Malumbi, we've mentioned them all before. Not going into the next campaign thinking we're going to see Hendrick Hurrell and McCarthy. And if we don't see them, who are we going to see? We have options now. So, that you know, it, it's, a, it's a huge positive, I think. It's not all doom and gloom for the future. We may have been through the hard bit already. Who knows? Yeah, I'd echo exactly what Phil is saying. It It, it is a bit doom-laden at the minute because we can't score a bloody goal. But lots of pundits maybe 18 months ago were saying Ireland just doesn't have the players. They do. We do have players. We do have players coming through with a lot of potential. They're quite young. We're trying to fast-track them. Kenny had them at under-21 level, but he didn't have to play a 17-year-old Troy Parrott at under-21 level, but he did. He's been blooding players through. He's got, I believe, it's the correct way to play. You keep possession. uh, You outplay your opponents. Um, We're not quite there yet. I'm hoping when we get one goal, the floodgates open. Youth brings energy. They bring no fear. They bring imagination. He's given a lot of young players their debuts and, and match minutes. There are other players who can come in. Uh, he needs to strike that balance between the experience and these young guys who are going to give us a spark. And I'm also hoping we unearth a goal scorer from somewhere, Australia or China or wherever. The young guy at Getafe in Spain, if he starts banging in the goals, let's get him in a team. Let's get Let's get someone on form in the green shirt and, and hit the ground run and come to spring. It's a lot to look forward to. And there's going to be a lot of football played in the next 12 months. And I want to say I'm looking forward to it, but I think it's more like I'm not, not looking forward to it. 
think the last nearly three years of Irish international football have been very hard to watch and I'm trying not to pass final judgment on Stephen Kenny just for the games that he's been in charge for so far but I'm looking for an improvement and I think I know you're 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 close to ramping up but and 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 I'm not maybe I'm coming across as a cheerleader for Stephen Kenny I'm not I I like what he's trying to do I want to see how it works but even what you're saying would echo a lot of what Irish fans say. Like, the last three years of Irish football has been depressing to watch. But can can we not distinguish between how we've been playing under Kenny compared to what went before? We're passing the ball to another player in a green shirt. We're out-passing opposition. We're having more possession than opposition at home, even away. This wasn't happening in the previous five, six years. We have to remember where we came from. It was absolute dross under Trampatoni. O'Neill gave us a great summer, but the qualifiers were hard to watch. And as much as I like Mick McCarthy as a person and how well he did the first time around, he failed second time as Ireland manager. We didn't see any particular improvement. We weren't scoring many goals. If Irish fans can't distinguish between what we're watching now, being bored by a nil-nil where we're outpassing the position compared to being bored by a nil-nil where Shane Duffy hit the ball over the end line, I think we need a, a little bit of a... Well, I think we're browbeaten, but we need to, a bit of introspection as well. As, as Phil was saying earlier, Irish fans need to realign their expectations a little bit that doesn't leave us with a very hopeful ending. But actually, if we do that, we might endure what's to come more easily and uh, enjoy the highs a bit better. Change is never easy. And look, Kenny is trying to change things. I think I'd be in a better mood if, if there had been a goal. I mean, I was... It's, about, it's results. It's about results, yeah. Joe. We're not getting the results. Even a 1-0 win after playing 90 minutes of um, long ball, people only remember that we won. And right now, people are only remembering we can't even score a goal, let alone win a match. That's probably what it is. I don't remember too much of the football under McCarthy, but I do remember that we equalised late against Switzerland and against Denmark. And you remember when you have something to cheer about, you see. That's the thing. Exactly, yeah. You remember, you know, you remember... You could watch 89 minutes of pure shine lands on road and bang. All you'll remember the next day is, geez, when the goal went in, that's, you know, it's your last memory. And then looking back, you know, at all the tournaments or whatever, that's what you remember. So we have nothing to remember. Exactly. And Under that... Kenny, we have zip, zip, zero. So it, it makes it a lot harder. And the gap is huge between now the last game and March, which gives us way more time to shoot it. Like, if we had a friendly in January and we went out and bet, oh man, 3-0, that might take the heat off us a bit. We might level out a bit, you know, but we don't have that, unfortunately, due to everything that's going on in the Nations League. So it's just, it's the circumstances that we're in, which which does kind of magnify it a bit more, makes it tougher, you know. Yeah. But we go into the, the game against Luxembourg, we score twice in the first half, it's all forgotten. And you know, people will point to it and say, look, that's what he's been working on for the last six months. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. 
we've had a lot to discuss on the, the show this evening. It's our first year as a podcast. The last 12 months have not been easy for anyone. And the football that has been played has made some of it bearable. Changes to the national side. Change is always hard. And sometimes it's slow. And with international football, it can be even slower. But it could all be different in 12 months' time. We could be looking at the World Cup in Qatar. We could feel good about the position the team is in after going out in the playoffs. Or we could be happy with finishing third and having played well. I don't want to sound too downbeat. But a lot of the research that I've been doing for the last couple of days in the build-up to the review we've had tonight hasn't made me feel good. I'd like to thank Phil for volunteering to join the podcast with myself and Mark many months ago. It's been great getting to know him in the time that we've been recording together and the the discussions about Irish football that we've had. I'd like to thank James for coming on uh, as a guest for our India review. The most recent issue of Pogma Goal is available to order on their website now and they've started their own podcast going a little bit further in depth uh, into the stories that they have in the magazine. I highly recommend that you pick up an issue and also that you subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, Joe, thanks for asking me on to your end of year review. I've really enjoyed listening to your past episodes. So uh, best of luck. Hope we keep keep it going next year. If if this year has taught us anything, um, you, you have to live in hope. We've got hope. The world has got a bit of hope coming in the new year. And with, with every football season that starts our campaign, you start with a bit of hope. So let's do that when the spring rolls around. So viva la revolution. That's what I say. <laughs> Thanks again, James. Um, uh, I look forward to talking to you in the new year. For me, the last 12 months have been difficult, and I think it's good that we've gotten to the end of the year. The podcast has been a bright spark for me. It's something that I had thought about, but didn't know if I would ever actually get around to doing. But in in doing it, uh, I've spoken to Ireland Internationals, I've spoken to international journalists and uh, I've really enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed listening to my thoughts on Irish international football and I hope that you'll stay with us in the new year. Thank you.